Alex, welcome to Inside the Firm. Hey, Lance Eiko, how's it going? Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you as well. Uh, if you're just joining us, Alex, Alex, my co-host, uh, Al Gore, my co-host, I'm, I'm Lance Psycho. We host Inside the Firm. It's every Friday. Uh, it's an inside look at a raw inside look at a, at a young and upcoming architecture and real estate development firm. Yep. It's been a whirlwind. It's been these last couple of days. I think I've been nonstop, including all the nights for three days straight from Wednesday. Nonstop what? Uh, Crushing work. It. Just work, 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 you know, neighborhood meetings, all that. Um, yeah, this week has been exhausting. Yeah, so ridiculously exhausting. Yeah. And it doesn't stop. We have Saturday. We have. To, I have to miss. There's an Easter Easter hunt at at at, uh, um, at the mall. It's supposed to be awesome. Andy's going to take the kid, but we have to go get our gun gun safety thing for conceal and carry and all yep, that. Yep. So don't forget that. By the way. Yeah, I know. And then yeah. I got to do family stuff afterwards, and then I got to landscape my yard the next day. So yeah. Yay. <laughs> yeah. So let's go into fun stuff. <laughs> I have a question for you. Yeah. So last podcast, uh, you told the world about your epic failure uh, on, on the on the PPP I don't think I of, failed. of ARE 4.1. I don't Al- think Al- I failed. Alex is in the middle of taking his uh, his licensure exams. And um, I took three in a row um, and took two months to study. A, what do you mean by three in a row for everybody who hasn't, doesn't know? Oh, uh, two weeks ago on Thursday, I took one. Then Monday, I took another one, and then Wednesday. So it was Thursday. Three in seven days. Yeah, three in seven days. Um, the PPP, I only failed the vignette, which makes no sense um, because it's the easiest one. Um, I think It was just some critical error. They said I got a three, which is the lowest on it. And then, what was it, yesterday? Was it yesterday? It was I got yesterday. The, <laughs> I got the, <laughs> seems like a while ago. It does, doesn't it? Um, I passed my other two. I passed my other two. Yeah, congratulations. And know what I want to do? But I'm not going to do if I had unlimited money um, and it was secret, which it's not secret since I'm going to tell everyone. So, you know how we go fishing with the boys? Yeah. And uh, one of our buddies, Eric, just passed everything. Yep. So, you know, and people take people take a while. It took him five years, three months from when he first started taking the test. He he was almost he was <laughs> almost going to start like rolling out of the clock. Yeah. Um, but I almost want to sign up before we go fishing for the other two. And just like study as much as I can, <laughs> just hope I pass, so I could come and say, "Hey, I passed too." Hey. Um, but one, that would be a crapshoot, and then two, I actually don't mind studying and learning, learning the material and all that stuff too. And then two would probably be a waste of money because I'd probably fail it. Yeah, um, because it'd be two more tests, two huge tests in what under a month. That's too much. Yeah, that's no bueno. Yep. Yeah. So then you talk to your friend, right? Oh, so then, la- so Alex, Alex was complaining on the last episode about, um, and I was too, about uh, just the procedures and the and the way it happens and and um, the whole process of ARE, even though you know it is what it is. Yep. So so how it's disconnected and how the wording's kind of weird and how there's these fail things. So I so I go, I wonder how doctors do it because they have to be really careful that they don't misinformation that they're very much on the ball. So I called my Dr. Friend Stu. We'll call him Dr. Friend Stu because that's his name. Um, <laughs> and basically what's interesting is that they're called steps. So they have three steps. Um, and those are, you know, think about them as tests, right? And you take two while you're in school and then one when you're out of school, but you're in your residency. And it's basically the first one is, is basic science and like how disease works and, you know, I don't know, just science stuff right the second one is then like it's a little bit more advanced and the third one is is even more advanced um it's 
like 800 questions. So it's like eight hours each. Um, they have a board. The board's made up of doctors and, and all that and, and teaching doctors. And they're the ones that what come do you mean up teaching with doctors, Te- doctors like they're in a, in a school scenario. Yeah. So, okay. so, um, there's teaching hospitals. So okay. like, I don't know, like CU, CU is a teaching hospital. Yeah. So I'm sure one of their doctors is on the boards for whatever the tests are. Um, and they do the same thing. So like if they have 800 tests, a hundred of those questions will be practice tests, practice ones to really nail in and guess, guess what their pass rate is because architects, honestly, if you go look, it's been steadily going down. So it, you like, I think it's like 65%, right? Yep. Some 62. I think I saw one that was like 58 or something now. Yeah. Um, so, okay. It, what is a doctor's pass test? Give me a guess. Because it's 75%. 75%. It's serious business, right? You cannot cut arteries. You can't kill somebody. Can't kill anyone. That's what they say. Yep. 95%. Oh my God. 95%. It's almost as if they're teaching the material. So, so I go, (laughs) that's going to be on the test. I go, well, I I wanted to understand this. So, you know, I seriously, 95%. Yeah. I dug a little bit more into it and, and there's, there's a couple reasons it it could be that high. Um, one reason, um, and he makes a very good point is that you have to take the MCATs. You got to go to, you know, basically med school or pre-med school, right? Then you got to take the MCATs or whatever it's called. I might be getting that wrong. Isn't that what it's called? Sounds about right. Sure. And then you get into your doctor school. MCAT. Yeah, keep talking. Yeah, you'll look it up. Um, and he goes, that's a really hard test. So like everyone, you're already weeding out like 90% of everyone, you know, to get into med school. Yeah, that's what it is. Yep. So they're already good test takers and all that. So I go, oh, that, that that's... Right, a lot of memorization, right? Yep. Aren't they memorizing a ton of stuff all the yep. time? I go, that that's a really good point. But then I thought there hasn't been a test that I've actually studied for, and I've studied for these. T- so you're these saying, tests. are you? So back it up here. By them, by them doing the MCAT, what you're saying basically without they're saying at a is, higher level. Yeah. Well, they they they're weeded out. They've they've already done a weeding out process mm-hmm. just for you to get in. Yep. Yep. Um, and not, and, not every and, architecture school is like that, right? Because I mean, I think I would argue that our alma mater is sort of like that. Because they, they went from you didn't have the test, but it did start at 350 students, and then they weed it down to 50. Yep. And also, so 350 to 50 um, people who are going into medical or maybe architecture or engineering, I think they already have a higher bar for themselves. They're already dedicated. They already know, you know, stuff like that. So I think you are getting people that that are more likely to to succeed on tests and all that. So. That makes sense, but that doesn't account from a 62%, you know, which is to close 95. To, 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 to 95, um, because there hasn't been a test that I've studied for that I've failed. There's been tests that I haven't studied for and got close to failing. In, you, mean, you mean previous in, my in your life. life? Previous to that. Really? Yeah. There hasn't been a test that I have actually studied for that I've failed. Have you? Think about it in college. Just take college. I am thinking that you very hard. actually studied for. And I studied hard for this test. And I'm sure a whole bunch of people. No, even even when I would do, even on like, I honestly was not good at algebra. And I, and I blame it on that I, I had, a, I didn't have, I wasn't taught in the way that was best for me personally yeah. at the public school I went to. So then when I was, I thought, then I went to tech school for two years. So then I didn't even do any of that stuff. Yeah. Then I had to go to college. Then I had to go to university. So al- algebra was the only one. I think I got like a, a C. Yeah. It was the worst test. But yep. then I, I, I think I got a B or an A in the class overall. I didn't get a C in college whatsoever. So I did finally nail down and figure out what the difference was. 
What do you mean? What difference? So, between the architecture tests and, and because the structure is the we, same too, because they really update it like once every seven years and carb does the same thing. They have these practice tests. You could argue that the review board, like, I don't know who makes up all these, these questions. Um, it, for medical, it's basically relegated to people who practice or a lot of people who are teaching. Right. So I don't know how many people are teaching, you know, like if NDSU professors are on this board or, or, or not for the architecture test. And I go, are there, are there trick questions? And he's like, not really. His sister's, his sister is either a nurse or a doctor. And apparently like there's another test. She goes, he, she took like the alternate test and she goes, that one was a little bit tricky. So like there is maybe one that was a little bit tricky, but you don't have to take that one. And I go, well, here's an example, Stuart. Oh, good. I was going to say, I hope you give him an example. Yeah. And, and I go, Stuart, they, they, they will ask a question about sustainability. This is no surprise to anyone. Right? Yeah. As and they it's should. about a building. As they should. Yep. And it'll say, which, um, which, which principle, what should you do to this building or, or which is not applicable? Right. And it'll be like, oh, the building is, you know, um, should you, if you're, if you're going for sustainability, there's principles, right? Orientation is a huge principle. Shading is a big principle. Glazing is a big principle. Um, uh, you know, there, there's more. And so there's like four or five, you know, really big principles and they'll say, which one will be the least effective, right? And you'll go, well, you didn't tell me where it was at. Exactly. So, and, and here's the thing, like you didn't tell me where you're at and you listed the top five. So you're telling me to list one at the bottom and then choose that. And here's what's, what's, what's messed up about it is that I could sit there and argue with anyone, professors, people, I could tell you the positives and negatives of each one of those strategies and how they apply to each climate, right? But yet I might get that question wrong because it's unclear, it's worded a little bit weird, and, it, and, it, and it's tricky, right? So like I know the, I know the subject, but I might not know the answer. So what Stuart said, he's like, ah, uh, he goes a few times. There might be one or two of those, which mm. how much percentage would you say? The Are course? those kind of questions? Yeah. Half. Half, right? He goes a few times. There's one or two of those. He goes, but when they do um, those hundred test questions out of the 800, they state and they are looking for are the are the students understanding this? Is this clear? Is this conveying is this clear? Holy yes. So that's cow. how they're weeding it down. And I go, is there an inferiority complex going on, or are they trying to limit the amount of of, of architects? Because everyone literally, knows it. Literally, protectionism. Yeah, a doctor is valuable. Like you, we don't have to make that argument whatsoever. So does NCARB think if we, you know, make it harder and lower the, you know, test score? Now that is this that's Stuart talking, us, or is this? You? This is me. Sorry, okay. this is me. Because I'm just trying to get to like these questions are not clear. They aren't because if if I literally know the the subject, which you know I won't know every, but in, in a lot of them I do because a lot of people who are taking this have been practicing or doing stuff for six, seven, eight years plus school plus then study on top of it. There's, there's, that's the disconnect to me is that they are really searching for clarity where I don't think in carb is. I would agree. I would agree. It keeps bringing me back to this. For me, this is a logical conclusion of, are you guys making it seem like being an architect is this hard? And that, and I'm an architect. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like I can say this. Yeah. <laughs> it is hard. Yeah. <laughs> but not in the way they are making it seem difficult. That's my disconnect. That's my disconnect. I think it's hard to 
for me, the hardest thing about my about me, and this is only speaking for me, is um, knowing for sure, being really being confident in like calling out certain details or, or getting a getting a call from a fee. How about this? It, it's getting a call from a contractor. It literally maybe we made a mistake or there's just a field condition that occurred where we're like, crap, what do we do about this? Yeah. The call, you know, knowing what to knowing what to say and do in those in situations to cover our butts, to cover the building butt, buildings butt, the develop everybody's butts, so that we do so that we do protect life safety, all of that stuff. But that's critical. I'm like, how? That's the disconnect for me. And and and. What, what would be so nice, too, is that I think that that's so valuable. And you could still have the same number of tests. It could still be difficult, but, it, but you, could, you could honestly teach while you're, while you're learning because you could make those questions clear. Like, hey, you have a situation. Here's and a maybe, situation. you know what? I'm going to take five. I'm going to take 5.0, and maybe it's more like that. Maybe it will be. Maybe it's more like that. Here's the situation. Here's what's going on. Um, Perfect example would be like, oh, the contractor poured the footing one foot above the frost level. What do you do? Yep. What do you do? Right, the structure, everything is relying on you, and typically the ins, you know, really what it comes down to insulation, right? You're gonna have yeah. to call out like a different kind of insulation to make it so that it's frost. frost You'll have protected. to put, yep, probably about two layers of uh, two inch ro- rigid insulation, exactly. And and what's it so, okay? Be? So and and here, here's let me yeah. so now if the tests were written like that, wouldn't that wouldn't that start making wouldn't that start helping to generate more competent architects? young architects and then therefore what from the ground up wouldn't that start to give more confidence back to the architecture community and thus then we would have be better like re- accepted Can by, continue by the on? contractors yeah, go ahead. Well, because what we've been preaching forever is that if you want more uh money if you want more proceeds if you want all this if you want to be respected what do you need to do take on more responsibility and more responsibility comes from you actually knowing what you're doing so like i think they went around about it the wrong way (laughs) rather than just like you know limiting it which which then makes it you know oh okay there's a limited amount of architects so then you can make more money quote unquote or if they find that you don't actually know what you're doing or what you're doing can be done by someone else yes then they change it so that other p- drafters are doing and all that. If you change the competency so that everyone's skill is now rising and everyone is more comfortable with taking on more responsibility, I've heard this in business books. I've seen it all over. I see it with guys in, in our firm. If you want to take on something and take it off my plate or take it off of a developer's plate, they, they will let you. Colorado's moving so fast. Things are, are so difficult. Man, if you're competent, you do it. You do it. You know, the, I, I can't. Uh, a, a bunch of our developers, I swear, would give a, we We don't have the capacity to do it, but, man, the, the sky is the limit. The sky is the limit for what, what people allow you to do um, if you're competent in it. Yeah, absolutely. People are busy. The people, the people who are calling the shots and making the big deals are so busy, the more they can delegate to people that are competent and they're competent in, 100%. Yep. Go for it. So, just to recap, I don't think just to, to some, finish up the, the whole continued end card discussion. Um, and I got one last final thought on that. Oh, I guess Alex was going to cap it up. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I'll say the final thought, and then you can cap it off. Okay, go for it. Um, the only thing with the the five is that it might be geared towards what we're talking about. God, that'd be great. It'd be great. The the Hang only on problem in this small transition is that all the study material is just a conglomeration of four like okay study for these four 
to oh. then take these two. You know what I mean? So like there might be a disconnect and there might be some whining by people, AKA me, who knows? Um, but if it is that way, that will be a better step and there just might be a pain period in the middle. So who knows? Yeah. So just, just, just to, just to uh, recap everything, we're not, we're not complaining about the idea behind our, you know, talking about the idea behind licensure. We think licensure is a good thing. We think we, we we're just saying, man, wouldn't it be great if we all came out of this and we were just very, very confident in our yeah. practice and be able to make critical calls for critical things instead of like weird foo-foo questions that have no real pertinence in, in real world practice. Yeah. Wouldn't you love then, like, after you pass the next day, a contractor or someone calls you up and be like, what do I do here? And you're like, bam, we just went we over. We just went over this. We j- yeah. Absolutely. That's yeah. what we're going for here. Uh, okay. That said, I have been, I have been uh, in, uh, enamored lately with uh, the idea of 3D printing buildings. And I wanted to bring it up today because when are the robots going to take over our jobs, Alex? Uh, soon, hopefully. Soon, hopefully. Um, do you think it's okay? How about this? So I've been posting a bunch of articles on F nine's um, Facebook page, uh, inside the firm's Facebook page, Twitter, all of our social media outlets, and then just reading them as they come in too. So every week, every, almost every day, there's some new, there's some other company that has invented some little robot. They printed a new house. It seems like it seems like it's going to happen. Like it's inevitable. That it's going to happen. Can I tell you what I think the future is and, and, and maybe where F9 needs to go slowly? Because I remember you said, we, um, we're we really good at Revit, um, experts at Revit. Um, so shout out RevitFurniture.com. Get your t- <laughs> <laughs> templates, families. We, we set up everything so that you can render. Like We really know this. And I remember a year ago us talking and saying, we don't want to miss the boat on the next one. Exactly. Right? And what is because the next we, one? Because we feel like we at least have a little ship. That little we, tiny. A boop, little boop, rabbit boop. ship. A little rabbit ship. Going, boop, boop, boop. <laughs> yep. Um, when, you know. And, and everyone's, what's it? Diamond, Diamond, Dynamo? What's that other one that all the Dynamo. Kids, Dynamo. Th- yep. They're all using that. And I, and I go, I don't see it too much because it seems like it's too much Zaha to deed, like craziness. It seems like it's very so, for so crazy what structures. D- Dynamo, I think it's Dynamo. Gosh, we're so awful at this. Dynamo, like remembering names. Lumios yeah. was the one yesterday. The, what the, the software that if anybody hasn't heard about it is basically it generates random patterns in structures or facades or stuff like that for you. And you can plug in different parameters yeah. for it. But it still works in Revit. So it's not its own, own standalone. Yeah, and so, it produces really cool stuff. Yep. So I don't think that's where we jump ship and become the leaders in. But with the 3D printing and then generative um, AI design. And man, did you watch that video? What what was the what was the software that they said? It was like Dream Dream where Dream something, Dreamcatcher. No. So Alex showed me if you just go to YouTube and Google and well not Google but search. Well, it's become a verb now. Yeah. Autodesk generative design. I don't yeah. know what the software was that they showed me. It was Whoa. like a it was like a two minute video. But what they did is they put in parameters for like this one guy. This in the video, this guy was trying to make a drone, and he basically said, "Hey, I need, uh, hey software. Here here are four points where four helicopter blades. Yeah, here's where the blades are gonna go. Here's here's how heavy the motor is. Make me a structure yep. based on that, and then it it." The he he put the algorithm just went through and sifted through and it went through a bunch of different skeletal forms, and then they show uh, an example of like there's a um, a sheer wall on a on a on a plane like a Boeing. Well, before we go to and then they they looked at it and like man, this skeletal structure looks a lot like a flying fox. And what was cool about it is that it's sort of 
you couldn't have designed that yourself. You'd need a computer AI and processing power to do it because it, it's so crazy and it's calculating forces on literally a, a millimeter, you know, section by section. Um, so, and, and, and here's the leap, right? Every other tool that we've used from basically now to the whole pass is we've directed it, right? So when I draw with my pencil, I'm directing where that goes. When I'm drawing in Revit, I am telling it where the walls okay. are, right? Okay. And this is basically saying, here's an end goal computer. You do it. You make up all those where the walls go, where the lines with go the three, on. With the 3D printing of the building. No, no, with the generative AI design. We'll go to 3D printing next. But like that's the software that's going to make 3D printing very, very useful, I think. Right? Um, because now the computer is doing those steps for you. Does that make sense? Like you're letting it loose, which is which is crazy. Like that's, that's a mind shift. The only, the only way I can believe it at this point is I have to like dumb it down for myself. Yeah. Okay. So the only way I can think about it properly is let's say let's say we're doing just a, a simple basement finish. Yep. For somebody, we're helping them lay out the basement, right? So we could we could we could go take the as builds ourselves. Maybe 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 at this point, finally, there would like two years in the future, there'll be finally be an app where we just take photos, it puts together the floor plan, and then we we input into that existing floor plan. We say, okay, the client wants three bedrooms. Uh, a living room, you know, just all of these things, right? And then we say, go for it. Give us 10 options. Yeah. I could see it actually being able to do that. Yeah, and I didn't go to that leap. What I went to... That's to, not even a leap. No. <laughs> I didn't go. I didn't go there. Where I went is the first thing it's going to be used for is structure. So think about our skyscraper in college. We'll say, here is, oh, here's a skyscraper. I, okay. That's fair enough. So you're, you're at least, you at least as the architect have the framework of the building. Yep. And then I think from there it will go to okay, let's think about sustainability and where the winds I come actually, from. I'm actually on board for something about like in that leap. That that cuz that makes it again, it, like you said, it's then it becomes your tool again. It's not replacing your job, it's just I mean in a way it would kind of be replacing somebody's job. You yep. wouldn't have to be laying out you would be doing less, right? You'd be doing less manual work. Yep. So now you you get these crazy fo uh, forms that hopefully respond to the site Hopefully the structure is super efficient. And then how do you make that? And then there's the leap to 3D printing, right? The problem that, because we talked about this a little bit earlier, is that, man, it doesn't make sense now. It doesn't make sense now because you can't use one material for the structure, for the skin and all that. But I swear I saw someone figure well, it here, out. Here's what we talked about, but you guys didn't hear about was. Because <laughs> I asked him just off the cuff right, right away earlier this week. I said, hey, I want to talk about 3D printing and buildings and what it means for, I think, the profession moving ahead in the podcast this week and he's we started he started we started to talk and what, the, the big thing he's you know we said was uh it might it might print the structure but at the end of the day like isn't somebody gonna have to come in and waterproof it you know around the weird ways aren't they still gonna have to like skin it you know it might it might just take one part out for now yep so so i think i have maybe a semi-solution and, and a problem to it but i swear someone 3d printed a burger like literally the whole burger like they made the different condiments and somehow like it came and squirted in. So what if that you had sounds disgusting? It probably was. It probably was. You know, so, they've been three reprinting hot dogs for years. <laughs> <laughs> so think about that. So think about lumber chicken and I'll nuggets, come back to that. <laughs> I'll come back to that to lumber. But let's say you're making something and you have a 3D printer and it's making the structure, right? Can't you put different inputs so that while you're making the structure, couldn't one of the nozzles be spraying the insulation? Could another nozzle be making the water barrier? Couldn't another 
nozzle make that exterior protection that's protect you know protecting the structure and through the <laughs> we we got a, a client coming in so we'll pause for one second so we always pause to accept checks from clients <laughs> um so so then all of a sudden you're you're printing absolutely everything you're and then you could even print the gypsum on the inside why why not you know obviously i don't know how to do this but then if you even think about our, our, our problems that we're going to have with our future development is getting enough people there, having them have the right skill and having them not mess up, right? And then drawing towards the drawings. And now in Revit, when we're modeling everything at a real world scale, modeling absolutely everything, man, wouldn't it be great to just have five of those bots do everything and say, it's going to be done in a month. And if it can do all those layers, that's how it could work. Now, the messed up thing is how it might not work. And this might be me being old school, but I bet you a bunch of people will be that will be old school. Well, I like a wood finish. I like a wood trim. What are you going to do? Are you going to take a tree, a whole bunch of trees, ground it all up, put it in this 3D printing machine that will then glue it back together? And then you'll make this, you know, basically what OSB is for structure when it's just as easy to take a tree throw it through a sawmill and it'll cut out these two by four, you know, and put it in there. So are we going to take and but are we going to grind up all these materials to put it through the 3d printing? And then what does that look like at the end? And then does it become fake and plastic and all that stuff? But then aren't we being more efficient because you're using all of that tree every single bit because you're just grinding the sucker up and then adding glue later. Maybe, because you yeah. can 3D print, 3d print wood be a wood structure too. Uh, it was okay. I don't, yeah. Here, here, here's my, so we, we would want to have one. Let's say, let's say this development goes great. And then by the time this development is done, you know, th like you can actually buy a 3D printer. And let's say it's just one part of it, right? Just for concrete. Because I hate, I hate, that's one part of construction I just won't do. I just yeah. can't stand it. It just, I've always hated it. And part of it because, part of it was because like I got yelled at the most doing that work compared to all the other work. So <laughs> I just have a bad taste for it in my mouth, right? Yeah. I don't like it because it's hard. <laughs> I, I did it in the army. I was like, this is what? <laughs> yeah. Those concrete workers are big boys usually. Yeah. So question is, is it really, uh, do you think that like this technology could, is going to be a top down thing or a bottom up thing? Because it seems like, like maker bots, right? There's a, I think there's a maker bot in the market for like 99 bucks now. It's yeah. either 99 or 199, but incredibly cheap. So anybody can get them. Like they're they're at my son's, um, at one of my kids' middle schools and stuff like that. I, I'm just wondering is like I think my fear is that only these big construction companies are going to be able to afford it and implement the thing, right? and it's so. not going to be a it's not going to be a groundswell from the bottom up type of thing. Yep, I think think about some big company doing a, a skyscraper where they 3D print the structure. And then they 3D print these other layers. And let's say they do want like a nice terracotta finish or something like that. And then the workers, all they do is come and just hang it. That's it. That's their only job is hanging the, 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 the facade. I mean, couldn't you see that happen? Can you 3D print glass? That seems hard. It's got to be molten, right? So no, it seems like no. I thought about the same thing, like steel, right? It seems like the only things you Wait, 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 wait. I bet you, I mean, they'd have to totally keep, have a clean room, but... They do 3D print glass. You've been to a glass factory. Molten. It goes through the whole thing, comes out on this flat layer. You could think of it as 3D printed. It's 3D printed. It's just... You could think of it as 3D printed, yeah. It looks like it. Yeah. yeah. That, that, seems, that seems a while in the future. But we're talking about... I'm talking about... 
I don't know. For some reason, maybe and maybe I just need to get this thought out of my head. Is it's all done in situ, so it's all done in place, right? I just imagine like there's a bunch of drones around this building site, and it's just this constant buzz of like, and they're just building the thing from the ground up. Yeah, you know, when really, when really, I don't think it's gonna be like that. I mean, people like to like you see you saw that video of the. It's this round house, right? And yeah. it looks like it's yellow and white or something yeah. like that. It might be all yellow, but it went viral like a month ago. Yeah. And everybody likes to see that. Everybody likes to watch that video because, like, you can see it come up from the ground up, right? Yep. But really, may, may, you know, I don't know. It could be just 3D printed, all different parts, and then they come together in the end, right? It could and be. You still got to crane everything in. The only thing I would say is don't be afraid. I thought you were going to say everyone likes a handcrafted material. You know, everyone likes that texture and stuff. Well, that's probably what some a lot of architects said when the first CAD came in. Everyone likes hand, hand drawing. They still right? say that. Yep. They still say that. They still say that. So I would just know maybe don't let that, that pass you up because right now what's being 3D printed is probably equivalent to the first renderings in the 90s, right? Oh, they rendered just a teacup. Exactly. The teacup, yeah. They rendered the teacup. But in 10, 20 years, they might be 3D printing some exterior materials that far surpass in quality texture everything that that i mean you can't replace nature because we're, we're literally just born to we can call out fakes and you know biophilia um we're connected with nature and all that but i think we're at the stage where it's the first renderings you know mm. back in the 90s and that's that's what's 3d printing mm. so so don't let it slide on you i would love to have one i'll tell you that much I would, I would love to start like, with like it, it, once it got to the point where if we could do if it if you could buy a concrete printer, and it was and it was a, it was a wasn't too far of a stretch to be affordable. Yeah, I would I would seriously consider doing it because that would, wouldn't that be a game changer for us? But how many people are going to get on board? I don't know. But 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 maybe again, getting other people on board is harder than you just being in charge and then dictating. <laughs> who's on board and how we're doing and it. And just make it. And I think the first steps are when we do a, let's say we do another fun project, right? Okay. We're going to do it with that generative AI design software. And then we're going to have a 3d printer and we might make a little bit of model of it. And we, it might even be a maker bot or, or whatever. And it'll probably just be the structure that we'll, we'll figure out or something like that. Um, okay. Then, so here's my final question to you. Now, now that we have the discussion is, do you think that's the next wave? Like, are you, are you convinced this is the next Revit. This is the next building information modeling. And if you don't get on as an architecture firm now, or as soon as you can get on board and at least have a little ship with the bigger ships, you're going to get left behind. Uh, yes and no. Um, because the, the no part is how far down the chain it will go. Will this only be applied to skyscrapers, big building, and the space industry, which you're going it, to – it's not efficient – to have everything in a tube that fits the same size of the rocket and then you make all this tube space stuff. It's more efficient to have 3D printing in space and then bring up the materials and then you can make whatever whatever design. That, so I honestly think that they will probably lead the way um, with Elon Musk and everything with the, the 3D printing going and with the sensors because everything needs to have a sensor up there and then everything will be connected with an AI and that's how we'll make Skynet and then Skynet will come down here. Okay. <laughs> but so but it depends on is it ever going to reach residential? And I'm trying to think of an example like isn't there stuff that kind of stops at the top and doesn't come down? Like steel superstructures and you know um glass door front walls like 
I don't know. That doesn't really affect residential too much. Like you could argue that there are current walls in residential and all that, but you don't need, you know, you don't need it to be make a house, you know? So will there be some big companies that are doing I'm going to devil's advocate you here. Please do. Uh, The first people that picked up Revit were the big firms, right? Yep. And they were doing commercial stuff. But how big of a difference has that made that we were one of, and, and Robert Wygant of uh, Sumex has said this over and over again to me is, you guys were one of the first ones that I, that I saw out of, out of in, way back in 2009 that were starting to use Revit for houses. I mean, we just met with a firm yesterday in Boulder yeah. who's still in SketchUp and AutoCAD world. And, we're, and blows our mind. Blows our mind because just, I really do believe that even though you know, we're seven people right now, we, we can get the work done of 12 people. Just by virtue of Revit yeah. and the template and everything, so I don't know, dude. It seems like it seems like when you do bring that commercial stuff into the residential zone, it gives you a leg up if you can if you can make it happen. I mean, the cost obviously that was if you, so. If there's an analogy here, that yep. the cost of Revit is six grand, right? AutoCAD you can get for like seven fifty. Yeah, and then the one thing I'd want 3D printers to solve for it to be uh, ubiquitous across all structures would be one. I think they'll be able to print the structure. Um, two, I think they should be able to print um, the insulation in between and then at least do the interior finish, you know, like the gypsum. I don't know. Obviously, I'm not a scientist or anything because then if you're saying, okay, all I have to do is install windows, put my house wrap, and then hang siding. I mean, isn't that – aren't you saving a lot? Yeah. yeah. Aren't you saving that's a the lot? Way, that's the way we built the last two tiny houses, and I loved it that way in, yeah. in that the structure was done. I mean, it was prefabricated by or by the trailer company, yep. right? And then we just had to infill everything and just finish the whole thing. I mean, it was a ton of work, but yeah. you know, yeah. it wasn't simplified. I don't know. But, but then right. here's the other thing too is like how much effort do you put in that to the game? Because I don't think it's there yet, but how fast are things moving? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but I am interested in, in – What would make uh, you jump? I think we have to do a, a, a fun project in it. I, I see. Yeah. 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 And then you do mock-ups, little mock-ups like you're talking about. Yeah. That's interesting. All right. Uh, Moving like on. Ta- no, no. Tangential. Tangential to this is. So you showed the generative design on that on the YouTube channel, on that YouTube video, right? You yep. showed me that where Autodesk is coming up with. You just put in parameters, right? So yep. like now the, if, so if we're putting in. You could do, I think you could do the same thing. So let's say somebody buys a plot of land and they say, I want to put this kind of building on. You put in the parameters. What's to stop? What's to stop AI or pseudo AI? That's kind of where it's at right now. It's like very close to AI. You're, you're, it's not able to entirely think on its own. You have to kind of feed it the information and then it solves the problem, right? How, how, much, how much of just people who are clients, developers, regular people, doesn't matter, are, how many of those people are going to want to work with architects like that versus, nope, they want a traditional architect? Like, is there, is there going to be, you know how, like, right now in Boulder County, there's this, there's a whole uh, farm to food, or, sorry, farm to fork movement, yeah. right? So everybody wants, now everybody, like, and everybody has this, a lot of people have this idea, like, my fiance meets with clients all the time that want to do hobby farms, yeah. right? They're literally called hobby farms. Like, it's, they purchase, like, five acres, and they want to, they, like, they live in the city their whole lives and they're like, ah, oh, but I grew up on a farm and now they have this nostalgia getting back there. So like, I wonder how much of the nostalgia is going to come back on that. 
I think it'll be I think it'll be huge, and I think that there will be people who fight it and then say, "Hey, we do think we're handcrafted." There's a huge handcrafted market. There's still people who draw on hand, right? We so, work with them. Yep, that's going to exist and that's go- going to stay there. They're never going to go away, don't yep. you think? That's going to be five to ten percent, and then there's going to be the people who uh, don't want to progress or or move forward, and then will kind of claim that, but they'll they aren't really handcrafted, and, and you know, so it won't really work out. And then there'll be people who are just going to blaze in the future and say, you got to do this, you got to do this. But then I think there's that small slice middle ground where if one of those clients come in that, that want that handcraft and all that, I think you could almost sell them and say, hey, think about this, you know, the structure of, of um, putting up a house. And, how ma- and you, what I'd want us to do is weigh out how many sticks go in there, how many trees that cut down, right? And, and when, the, once we ran the test. Yep, yep. Yeah. And then show, hey, we, we still use wood. It prints out wood. But look at what the structure it makes. And then show them pictures of skeletal structures, not in a creepy way, but of nature, yeah. of fractal patterns, and say, this is actually getting closer to nature. If you look at, can you bring me that book right there? Yeah. It's called Fertile Cities. And uh, the architect is Vincent, uh, I can't even say his name. Just... Fertile city, yep. Calabao. Uh, he, he's he's uh, French. He's from Paris. Like his architecture, this is a, like this has to be three D printed. Yeah. But it, it's very close to nature. Um, he has a lot of green stuff, but even its forms. If you look at, uh, I hope I could. Well, yeah, look at this one. Like I think he even takes animals like structures to make it up. He doesn't use, as far as I know, um, he doesn't use AI generative design, but. But that's where I think you blend back with the hippies, and that, that's what we're talking about. And we don't mean that derogatory. We mean blending back with nature through using high technology. I think those can come together. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. All right. Yeah. Moving ahead. Uh, what do we got next? We got next to the topic here. Um, okay. We had a uh, we had an awesome email uh, come in over the weekend um, from a Mr. Tim Barber. Uh, shout out to Tim. Tim. Uh, Tim is a. Uh, member of the Entree Architect community, I think. Um, I've seen him over there a couple times. And so his name was familiar to me. Uh, he's He owns Barber Architects, and he just started listening to the podcast over the weekend. Uh, had some ha- just had some excellent feedback for us. Uh, very positive. Really enjoys how, how raw and inside of a look it is. And so then we asked him if he would be our guest this week to answer the, the advice question. Uh, what's the best advice you got, and what's the worst advice you got? So um, we're going to pause and... Listen to his uh, his best and worst advice that he's got, and then uh, give you our reaction. Alex, this is Tim Barber at Barber Architects in Durham, North Carolina. You had emailed me and asked two questions. What is the worst advice you have ever gotten in your career? And what is the best advice you had ever gotten in your career? I honestly don't remember any bad advice. I don't remember anybody suggesting that I do something. I tried it, and then it didn't work out too well. But when I think of good advice, I think of uh, my father and my last employer, Tim Hoke. My father told me when I got out of college, and I graduated in 1979 from Virginia Tech, uh, dad was a lighting rep, but a mechanical engineer by degree. He asked me, did I want a job when I got out of college? And I said, yes, sir. And his comment was, I don't care if you're the next Frank Lloyd Wright. If you want a job, you have to be able to do two things, print and draw which is what got me my first job as I was a draftsman. Um, my second good advice was from 
Tim Hoke, who I used to work for, who explained to the staff that architects were just a spoke in a wheel, that we were mo no more important than anybody else. Without everybody's input, we wouldn't have a successful project. I thought that was extremely good advice. Um, lately, through my experience, and I have been self-employed since 87, uh, the thing that pops into my mind for advice for other people is the quality of my service is not affected by the quality of my client. I have had some bad clients, but I hold myself to a higher standard and I always finish my projects and I never walk away from a bad project or a bad client. I just won't work for them anymore. So I hope that answers your questions. Okay, thanks a bunch, Tim, for that. Um, I was that was awesome to hear that there was no there was no worse advice. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. easy to be negative. Uh, it's hard to be positive. So I commend I commend you on that one. Um, th th there was three points basically uh, that that Tim that Tim said, and I thought they were I thought they were great. Uh, number one, you know, you're not he doesn't nobody nobody cares if you're going to be uh, nobody's interested if you're going to be a uh, uh, rock star architect like Frank Lloyd Wright um, if you can't just do the basics. I think. That goes to kind of our core fundamental beliefs that, you know, fun, follow the fundamentals first and do them very well and then build on top of that. And then that's where all the magic can happen. Yeah. So you said basically you have to be productive. You have to be yes. productive. And what I noticed, too, is that if you want to be that rock star, one in a million, all, all that stuff, um, and if you don't want to work for someone, they are looking for you to be productive. Um, so... If you don't want to be productive in the way that they want to be productive, you might have to go on your own. So Daniel did this. He he his first internship. Leapskin. Yep, yep. Leapskin was uh, for some famous guy. Don't even know. And basically, they had him just do menial drawings. And he said, "Nope," and he quit. <laughs> <laughs> so so, but but here's the caveat: is I don't think you know uh, if you're Daniel Leapskin or Frank Lloyd Wright or anything like that that early even frank lloyd wright worked under under people yeah, so louis sullivan yep so yeah that's a great point he worked under louis sullivan and he did just do drafting stuff same thing with norman foster norman foster got a his first job and he's and uh, literally the guy said just here's here's a house and you can do it but like norman foster didn't have thoughts of grandeur at that point he he knew he just wanted to be an architect at his fundamental level right yep um, second thing was, uh, everybody's input makes a project. Totally agree with that for better and for worse. I think there are examples where it can be bad. Um, I, I think you, you end up there. Sometimes you just can't avoid, um, certain clients or, or even like cities telling, you know, making bad decisions. And at the end of the day, it is, it is what it is. Uh, and I think you just have to grit your, grit your teeth and get through it. I don't know what else to say about that one. Um, last one is quality of service. This one I totally, I totally agree with, uh, Everybody, you're gonna you're gonna have a you're gonna have a bad client or you're gonna have a bad project at some point. But at a fundamental level, uh, just do your best job, get through it, and and like Tim said, you don't have to work with them ever again, right? You have a choice, you have a freedom. Unless you know, unless you're living in North Korea as an architect, you probably don't have a choice, and you have to do whatever they say. Yeah, <laughs> and then I think so. I kind of fell off the wagon to use the wheel metaphor uh, on this one a little bit. Um, but I think I think the the caveat is quality of service versus quality of product. Because if it's true that the whole all the spokes make the wheel, which is the architect, uh, the you know the end architecture, if that's full of quote unquote bad clients um, who make poor decisions, the quality of the end product cannot be the best ever because it that wheel everyone has a say. So 
that is a little bit different. But your quality of service yes. could be the same. That's not saying that you're going to be able to produce that same thing because you need to, to – I still say you need rock stars to make rock stars on, on all level of those spokes of, of the wheel or else it's not going to work out because they're going to hold you back. They're going to say make some decision that you can't override or, or something like that and then – Yep. You know. Yep. Totally true. Totally yep. true. Um, okay. I wanted to – next thing I wanted to talk about was uh, contract negotiation. So <clears throat> we, we were going after – we're still going after this uh, small commercial project locally and i've never i've never had a never had a um and this is this is the thing we were gonna kind of alluding to at the end of the last podcast uh that we talk about so i've never had a client do this and i've always wanted a potential client to do this but now that they've done this i'm not sure i'm comfortable with it <laughs> so you live you learn so when we send off a proposal the way we do it is we do it in two different ways number it's either a fixed fee and it breaks down each phase uh into th- so we do you know to put your typical f- three phases, you know, schematic design, design development, construction documentation, and then um, maybe there's a fourth one if it's permitting and we have to you know, do stuff like that. And, but it's all fixed. Like we say, what, what, how many iterations design-wise there is back and forth, how many meetings there are. You know, we try to lay out every, and, and are the contracts followed to a T? Not always, but generally, generally we, we try to train our clients to, be, to follow the contract or the proposal, right? And then the other one is, just an hourly with a top set or just a straight up hourly if the client really trusts us, which a lot of them do. And those are usually like developers who are repeat clients. You know, we might do like three houses and a big development for them and then they get repeated, but then they get repeated like with, with, with different changes and stuff. So, uh, this, this, um, this proposal that we sent out for this local work was a fixed fee contract. And, uh, the client was meeting with a couple other architects. They ended up sending us, uh, so we got it. We got shrunk down from, I think there were five firms to two, so we were shortlisted. It was us versus another one. The client sent back the um, proposal, sent our proposal to the other architect and the, the other competing architect's proposal to us because they were 100% different and the client was completely confused. He'd never worked with an architect before, so he's trying to understand why there's such a big price difference. Um, so I'm going to throw out some numbers that are not real, but just for a talking point. So let's say he was confused in this way. Let's say our contract was for uh, $10,000 and the other architect's contract was for $1,000. He was trying, he did, he could not understand why there was such a big difference. And I honestly couldn't understand why there was such a big difference either until I looked at the contracts. Uh, well, we already knew how my ours was until I looked at the competing architect's contract. And the way it was set up was that was his base fee. So it was $1,000 to basically start. And it was worded, in my opinion, in a tricky way, such that it wasn't obvious that, oh, this is just $1,000 to get it started, and it's all hourly with no top set, and who knows how much it could cost. And, and the reason I think that it didn't specifically say that, so you came to that conclusion. Exactly. That, yeah. And why you came to that conclusion? I even had to is, ask you. Did you ask me this right? And then I said, "What is the square foot of the project? What is the square foot of the project?" It's like uh, twenty thousand square feet. Yep. Um, so that's under ten. You know, like that, per square foot. Point five percent. Yeah. Point, you know, like, like five, five cents. Five know, cents. Five cents a square foot. So I go. That's 
<laughs> to me, like if we are doing that in our firm, I'm not saying them. If we are doing that, that fee for that many square foot, that'd be professionally negligent because you don't you don't have the time to look over. I don't think we'd be business partners. Yeah, <laughs> for twenty thousand square <laughs> like, foot. What are you doing running this your side of the firm into the ground? Exactly. You know? Um, and then they worded something weird, like clients shall provide plans for the gym. I, I don't know. I, it just, it just blew my mind that that fee, because most fees are between one and $4 a square foot. That's a general middle. There's many exceptions, but to go below, <laughs> to go below, to go a 10th below yeah, the lowest one, one to four for that particular project, like that typology It's basically a tenant finish to cut to the chase. Yeah. But and I mean, those aren't California numbers or, or anything. wherever you guys are at, but for us, this is, this is kind of the game we're, we're in. Yep. So, uh, blew my mind. Um, and I honestly, I got, I got very uncomfortable when I got that email because I thought like, man, this is like, if they're willing to share my contract and they're willing to share his contract, then what can I even say here? Like, because because your feedback might be shared too. Yeah. Hey, this other architect said blah 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 blah. Yeah, and as as Denver Denver has uh, I think a million five now. State of Colorado is five five total. But in my opinion, still like a small town because I I know I mean I know a, a lot of people and, and yeah. every day the circle gets smaller about the people you know. Yeah, I mean, but you meant five million people in the state. In the state, sorry. Yeah, yeah. whatever I said. Uh, so I don't know. Um, what, what so what was what were our final thoughts about why that's such a bad like because I, I asked you would we ever do this is this why is this why we like could we what do you think about doing this to get more projects how do you feel about this morally because it seems like it's a very slick and easy way to get a client to go like oh why wouldn't I go with this why wouldn't I go with this low fee this is yeah. this is amazing why wouldn't I do this yeah. this is a no brainer I think. <laughs> Here's what it leads us to, and, and this has always been our philosophy, and it kind of reinforces that, is that we've always sold ourselves as the middle-of-the-road price, um, not SOM, not anything like that, um, those big guys, because we just don't have the capacity, and honestly, you probably don't need all, all those services and all that overhead. And then the low guys, um, we, we would, you know, a lot of times they are just trying to get by, but some of them could be just like us and they just happen to be lower. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think we make a strong point for the middle. And when it's that low, I think it's, it's uh man, you got to realize you get what, you, what, you, what you pay for. Um, if they charge one twenty five per hour, that's not even, if it was, how much did you say it was a thousand? Wasn't it? It 1500? was actually, it was 1500. Yeah. yeah. So, um, 12 hours. What are you gonna do in twelve hours? Like it just to get the this just the zoning the setbacks and the and the, <laughs> <laughs> right, but I mean in the as builts just to get the as builts done. If it, if it's an existing building, and it's like a tenant finish or a remodel addition, that type of thing. Here's where my dilemma was. What I, so when we do that, when I do the fixed fee stuff, it's me. It's me telling them it's not gonna cost you anymore. I'm guaranteeing it's gonna cost this much, and that includes printing costs. That includes even revisions from the city within reason. Um, all that stuff, it, like it's cut and dry. I'm not, I'm not, there's no, I'm not trying to pull anything, the rug from underneath you. So if I, if we, if we ever tried that approach, I just feel, I would feel morally inept because I would have to go in and I'm constantly asking for more money, constantly asking for more money. And like what? I thought, you know, everybody, that'd be like a, that'd be like a framer saying, oh, I started a hundred and then take whatever it takes. Yeah. So I don't know though, because this is the first time I've seen this and I haven't seen I a wonder, lot of it. I want to know how common it is. Uh, yeah. Let us know. I wonder if people would let us know because we're kind of ragging on it. 
Um, yeah, if maybe, yeah, maybe we're wrong. Maybe we're dead wrong. Maybe we're idiots. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> they passed no PPP, so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but we do ask clients whether we were high, middle, or low. A lot of times we're middle. and But a lot of times, you know, if but we're But they never to, tell me a number, and I'm, I actually like that they don't tell me a number. I actually like that they just say, you were competitive, and it came down to more experience, or we weren't, this guy was could jump on it quicker. Like it's yeah. always like a, actually a pretty good reason. Yep. But, but here was uh, that condo project. I'll go into the numbers because the condo project we talked about last podcast in, in, in Boulder, we were maybe 125,000. It was a huge, big project. And the other people were, you know, 155 or, or no, something. No, no, they like, were two or almost 200, almost 200. Yep. But again, that was their bread and butter. Um, but still you couldn't accuse us of, <laughs> you know, a low fee, you know, if we would have said like 20,000 or something like that, yeah. like that would be like yeah, a one to 20 low fee. where we were 75% of, of this other established firm. Um, and then again, let me ask you this. We, we even said to them, you made, you made a fine choice. You made a great choice. We didn't fight it. We didn't. I wonder we, what scenario leaves more money on the table. What do you mean by that? Here's what I mean by that. Like, let's say, let's say you give a fixed fee and it ends up taking, and this happens sometimes. Okay. It ends up taking less time than you thought. And then you make, you make technically make more money per hour. Yeah. Right. As, as where, as, whereas if you're just doing it at cost plus time, you know, like materials plus cost, you know, I wonder, I wonder if you, I don't want to run the analysis, but I'm just curious yeah. about which scenario leaves more money on the table. At the end so, of the day. So you mean because if you always do fixed fees, if you always do fixed fees, I guarantee you, you wouldn't get some of these projects though. Because it, it would be, because in my mind, I'm like, if, if I say a guaranteed maximum fixed fee price, I have to account for the city doing shitty crazy, city. crazy stuff. <laughs> city stuff, right? I have to account for you. You might come back with four to 10 different iterations. Um, just because you can't make up your mind or you have a different aesthetic or all that. So then it gets ballooned and, and I don't know, yeah, we would really need a spreadsheet of like how many times we proposed that, how many times we got it, how many times, I know. We, you know, I know like that would it, take a lot of data. Yeah. That would take a lot of data, but anyway, it was interesting. So yeah. I, I would love, I would love it if, if anybody it, listening, tell me if you do it that other way. I would just, I don't know. The only way I think that we could know and figure out is if we get to 12 person and basically if our accountant is essentially on staff and then say, always take all these numbers, always take all these hours, see how everything's efficient. That'd be great. But at at this low, like you, you can, you can almost do that if it's just like yourself because Mm -hmm. you could just put that in. But if it's, you know, five, six, seven, eight guys, like unless you get up to a number where you can sustain that, that person, that, that's basically their job plus all the other accounting. So, work. so, okay. So yes or no, would you, would you ever want to do that scenario? Though? Of course not. Okay. <laughs> of course not. Uh, sounds terrible. Sounds terrible. Sounds terrible. All right. <laughs> Unless here's the only way I could see it is, uh, you, you'd have to tell them, Hey, this is a, um, cost plus with no top set <laughs> and give me a thousand bucks to get started. Yeah. Um, you got to lay that out. You got to tell them that. Yeah, but that's yeah right. And if you if we did that, I would be comfortable with that. If you tell them that from the beginning, that's what. But then what? I, could, I could just see it getting nasty at the end, though. Couldn't you just see it just getting gross at the end? Yeah, but the only people that I've ever seen that accomplished uh, is Frank Gehry was doing a house for a rich billionaire, and they spent five years developing this this crazy house that 
he paid over a million dollars in fees just to design. Renzo Piano just did that too. Yep. And then and then the rich guy said, ah, me and the wife want something smaller, so we're not going to do this. And then he was just cool with it because he wanted a Gary architect house, all this stuff. So like, that's the only way. And I'm not advocating for taking advantage of, of, of rich people whatsoever. But like it had to be, I don't know, uh, who, uh, the South Park guys saying, hey, we don't know what we want. We just want to keep playing with your ideas. Keep sending us stuff and we'll give you feedback. Mm-hmm. Then I'd be like, that's the only way. Okay, this is, you know, like there's no top set. We're just going to do hourly. I'm like, yeah, fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cartman is going to be the inspiration for your house. You know that. You know that, right? <laughs> We're going to do a Kenny house. Soda Soap house. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Okay. Awesome. All right. Well, now we cleared the air with that. Uh, development and, talk. Where are we at, Al? I don't know, but we have to go because we have another podcast in three minutes. Hashtag. Uh, uh, which one are we going to be on? Oh, Enoch God. Sears, Business of Architecture. <laughs> <laughs> go listen to us there. We got to cut it off because we got to get ready. We got to okay. go. All right. Last thing is, uh, and I'm, we're trying to get a better habit of this. If you're listening, if you love the podcast, please go subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Please leave us a review. Um, if you're another podcaster that's listening, I know Evan Troxel uh, listens. Um, we'd be happy to do a co-review. We also love your podcast um, and to help each other out in, in that way. Share share this with your share share this stuff with your friends. Um, help us spread the word because we're here to help you. And, and again, any questions, any comments, um, you can reach us at akg at f9productions.com. We appreciate you guys. Go out there and crush it.